0: I don't think any of us are interested in seeing a love triangle between Aang, Katara, and Sokka. Sorry. Aang, Katara, and Zuko. I hope
1: it's not Aang, Katara, and Sokka. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean. You're going to cut that out. Yeah. Fair. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to yet another. Exciting, entertaining, spectacular, I hope, episode of Avatar, the podcast. I'm going to be co hosting this episode with Acorn Bandit.
0: Everyone expects us to be co hosting together, Greg.
1: Well, maybe one. No, it's always going to be. It's always going to be that. (laughs) And of course, you know me. I am Booster Greg. This episode, we are going to be talking about episode 17, the Northern Air Temple, or as we like to call it, steampunk steampunk that's right now we have a whole bunch of i don't want to call it housekeeping cuz i feel like i'm blatantly ripping off pb and rob when i call it housekeeping but we have <laughs> housekeeping that we got we have to not have to that we want to do that we want to go through we have three important things that are happening yeah. or have happened recently
0: if it makes you feel any better we call it housekeeping in the dark podcast too okay
1: so it's just, it's housekeeping I'll, i'm going to call it hut Keeping no, that feels weird.
0: Hut keeping. we <laughs> are trying to make it
1: Avatari. Gonna call it minding over Prince Zuko, and no, I'm not calling it that. We'll figure it out. What we'll, we'll call it later. In these orders, we have the first ever Oppa Pin giveaway winner to announce. da. We have a little bit of an announcement for our YouTube channel. Yep, and. We're going to talk about what kind of happened with Netflix and Avatar, the last airbender series.
0: That their news that shook the world.
1: Yes, that the news that made its way all the way back to us numerous times.
0: So let's start with something happy, Let's start with the good stuff.
1: Let's do it. All right. I've never done this before. I don't know how it works. I think I'm just going to... Yeah, you do it.
0: I haven't either. I'm excited. So we are using Gleam. If you've entered, you know that we're using Gleam. Um, Just to, I guess, say for the record, Gleam uses random.org to pull its winners, which has been known to be the most accurate random generator. So I'm going to go over here and pull our first winner (gasps) live.
1: I stopped breathing. I am holding my breath for whoever gets this. I hope that she can pull a winner quickly.
0: Okay, here we go. All right. Drum roll please. Yes. Chelsea. Chelsea. Look at Chelsea that. H is our first winner.
1: Chelsea, congratulations. And and if I don't want to make any assumptions, but I remember very distinctly that a Chelsea H sent over an ang mail to us. So if this is the same Chelsea H, thank you for not only entering the contest but also for emailing us.
0: That's amazing. so cool. Thank you. I need to read Chelsea's answer to the question that we asked to enter, which is, who out of the Avatar cast would be the best cook and why? Chelsea said, I would have to say Uncle Iroh. He can make amazing tea. So just imagine all the delicious finger foods to go with the tea.
1: Oh, I was actually I was thinking Iroh as well.
0: Totally fair.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's wise enough. I don't know what wisdom has to do with being able to cook, but I feel like there's a correlation. I I feel like using a lot of analogies means that you could probably create food substitutes or ingredient substitutes really quickly.
0: Yeah. I feel like that would be a translatable talent. Yeah.
1: I don't know. Or I would actually really secretly love if Zhao was like really good at baking like little like
0: <laughs> that. Oh, God, that's accepted right now. That is in my head <laughs> canon forever and always. Zhao is secretly like an incredible baker. He's
1: just so angry all the time, except when he's making cupcakes with little like pink oh. frosting <laughs> and cherry on top <laughs> and all that.
0: If anyone listening to our podcast is an artist and you want to illustrate that, please feel free and then tag us on Twitter at Podcast Avatar or email it to us, avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. I have to see that.
1: Yes. Again, Chelsea, congratulations.
0: Yes. We'll be emailing you to let you know that you won. And um, this goes for anyone who wins an Pin. We do need an address to ship that to you, but we'll take care of the postage and all of that. Mm -hmm. So we'll be in touch soon, Chelsea. Congratulations. Yes.
1: All right. Next up, we have a little bit of news. And I feel like we might have said this before in a previous episode, but I'm going to reiterate it just in case I'm crazy, which side note, I probably am crazy and this has nothing to do with it. But we received So much positive feedback and so many pieces of ang mail, so many people tweeting at us, so many five star reviews over on Apple podcast that we realized a good chunk of the episode was just kind of reading everyone's mail to us. And
0: everyone made such good points. It's like, you got to talk about it.
1: And while Acorn and I were editing the episodes, we kind of realized that we weren't giving these answers the amount of time that we really want to give it. We were kind of like always looking at the clock and being like, well, we don't want this to go too long for this episode, even though I'm sure a lot of people would just kind of listen for a very long time. We try to keep these episodes uh, to just about over an hour just to kind of uh, make things a little easier and a little better for everyone. So. What we came up with is kind of mini episodes that we will be releasing on not only your podcast platform of choice, but also on our YouTube page.
0: Yeah, you finally get to see us yes. in the flesh yes. through your c- computer screen.
1: Which means I actually have to look presentable an extra day a week.
0: Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we kind of need it. I, I don't know about you, but yeah. I'm in like house clothes 24-7. Yeah, so same. it gives me an excuse to like look presentable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The same. And yes, I call what I look presentable. Okay. Move on. Anyways. So <laughs> we will be we just recorded the first episode last week. So that should be going up pretty shortly. If you are not already following us on YouTube, I would highly recommend it because you'll get this content. And maybe, I'm not going to promise this, but maybe quicker than if it was released as a mini episode. Potentially. So there's there's a nice incentive right there, I think. <laughs> Acorn's like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Potentially. Potentially.
0: Potentially. Potentially. We're excited, though. I'm very excited. It's going to give us a better platform to really discuss the thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. that you all have brought to us. There's a couple emails in particular that I think pushed us in this direction. Um, some really long beautifully thought out emails and even tweets that we want to dive into. And so we don't want any limitations. Yep. We want to be able to explore as much as we want. Yep. And hopefully that'll help us not only provide more content for all of you listeners, but then also
1: we can get caught dive up
0: deeper into. Yeah, we can get caught <laughs> up and also dive deeper into each topic.
1: Yes. So continue to email us. At, I keep on looking at the camera directly now because I'm practicing for YouTube. So. I'm practicing already for everyone. You can email us still, at gmail.com. You can tweet at us still, at podcastavatar. And you can absolutely please continue to leave five-star reviews over on Apple Podcasts with a written review. And I just saw a couple days ago, a whole bunch came flooding in.
0: I was going to say, you all do not understand how... How much that tickles, Greg. Oh,
1: you he, don't even know. He messages
0: me all the time. He's like, oh, we got another we one. Know.
1: I, I know how many more. we have right now in my brain. It's a number <laughs> that is stored in there until it changes uh-huh. and it refreshes. It's, it's, it's just so exciting and it's so great. And everyone's been so wonderful about not only enjoying our show, but letting us know that. And we want to provide more content for you. Yep. So there we go. Wonderful. Yes.
0: Um. Actually, speaking of feedback... We did. I'm going to throw this in here. Um, Wish I Might is someone who has tweeted to us before and we just recorded our response to their tweet, but they tweeted us again recently asking us to go through the the Netflix fiasco. Yes. Um, in Their words. Yes. <laughs> Which it is pretty much a fiasco. So uh, they asked us to share our opinions. And so we're going to do that today. But I just want to say thank you. Wish I thank Might for you. tweeting at us. We are absolutely going to dive in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Oh, wait. Oh, oh. I want to say thank you to Nancy 3000 as well.
0: Yes, Nancy.
1: Nancy, I want it. so uh Nancy has not only written into us, but she as long a couple other people did this as well. Um she found the Geek Generation Discord and has on
0: been the geek on,
1: on com and has been a very active user. Do they call user I don't know, Discorder, I don't know what it's called. She's been very active on Discord, especially in the Avatar, the podcast channel. So that's exciting for us because we get to directly communicate with someone who listens to the podcast and is a part of the Avatar, the last airbender community.
0: We're also honored because I think Nancy said that this is her first Discord experience. So we're honored. Thank you. So
1: cool. It was, I had so much fun. I got so excited. That like made my day. So thank you again. Okay. Now, are you ready to talk about? Netflix. Let's talk about Netflix.
0: Let's talk about Netflix. Oh, boy. So by the time this airs, I think it's been about a week since the news came out, but we're going to discuss it. So as we all probably know by now, Brian Konetsko and Michael Dante DiMartino Martinez have pulled out of the live action Netflix project, mm-hmm. which is Probably the worst news the fan base could receive right now because we've all been looking forward to this so much, majorly in part to how the movie did not live up to our expectations. So just hearing that Brian and Mike were part of the Netflix project for the live-action remake, it made us hopeful that we were actually going to get a great Avatar project out of it. Mm -hmm. So we're all kind of left wondering what's going to happen now.
1: Yeah, I mean... No one really has any idea because we haven't seen much come out of this project in any sort of advertising, not too much social media going on. It's just been kind of like, a, all right, these guys are attached to this project that, that created it, breathed life to it, soaked in blood, sweat and tears into this amazing series that we're covering. And now it's just like all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we're not associated with that anymore.
0: Yeah, I think it makes it worse that we haven't seen anything, even casting. So we have no idea what to expect. All we have to go off of is Brian's and Mike's uh, statements from last week. So just to give a little quick recap, um, in Brian's statement, he did say that this was not a simple matter of them not getting their way because they're both very collaborative people. They went into this knowing it was going to be a team project. But even with all of those expectations and the promises that Netflix gave them, They felt like the spirit and integrity of Avatar um, just was not lived up to. With that being said, he does note there's a lot of wonderfully talented people who are still working on the series, some of which Mike and Brian himself personally hired. So there's a good chance a good show will come out of this. It's just not going to be the show that Brian and Mike expected. And to
1: be fair, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this side. I'm Yeah, please do be upfront, And I'm going to tell everyone that this super bums me out. And that's putting it very, very, very mildly. This is just disappointing. There's no other way to put it. However, the Umbrella Academy has been a huge hit for them. And that very loosely follows the original source material. I actually do not enjoy the Umbrella Academy comic books. I read the first graphic novel or the first collection and I couldn't do any more. But I love the series, especially yeah. season one. So it, we could get something that, while is different, is still amazing. We could. Yes. We could. We don't know yet. We haven't seen anything.
0: Yeah. And that's a great point. That is the devil's advocate position I have heard as well, that there's oftentimes many adaptations that require the creator or the writer to not be as directly involved in order for it to turn out well. Another example that I saw online was The Great Gatsby. Mm -hmm. That movie was incredible and it was very much a modern reinterpretation of the story that still stayed true to the original source material in its themes and uh, I guess like meaning. Yeah. So who knows? Something good may come out of this, but I have personally seen a lot of people concerned about even just the simple things like relationships, representation. You know, I don't think any of us are interested in seeing a love triangle between Aang, Katara and Zuko. I mean, I
1: I think the Zatara shippers would want to see more of that in there.
0: I think they would want to see... Katara and Zuko shipped, but I don't think either camp is interested in love triangles. Those are so like early 2000s. We're over them.
1: That's very fair.
0: Avatar is beyond that. If
1: I were to take a a guess as to what it is, I think it's the casting. I would think. Because they've been working on this for two years. So they have to be at least at the point where they're approaching actors and looking at casting decisions. I assume. So I think that might be it. I don't know. I don't have any basis for that assumption, I'm just kind of going off my gut on that one.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm I'm wondering too. Uh, the, I think that's where all of our brains are going is it's either the casting, it's the characterization, it's the way that they're handling the world. I mean, if we're looking at the sins that have been committed against Avatar in the past, Shyamalan kind of checkboxed everything, yeah. from twisting the cultures to the pronunciation of people's names to the... Uh, ethnic representation Mm -hmm. of the characters. So I feel like it could be any one of those things, if not more, but I think I'm going to throw my hat into the, it's probably something along the lines of the world or the characters. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Just because the way Brian said, they went into it feeling like their ideas were going to be in line or the production was going to be in line with the spirit and integrity of Avatar. And they would have embraced whatever ideas were put on the table as long as it was in line with their vision for the world and its characters. And the fact that they left and having said that makes me think it's something that's just non-negotiable, which could be based on those things that make the world so real and tangible. It's like when you twist one of those things, then you are creating a completely new story that isn't Avatar anymore.
1: I wonder if they cut the episode order.
0: Oh, to like retell no. the series? Of well, events? like they
1: literally made it less episodes that they're ordering. I wonder if they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're ordering 20 episodes or whatever for season one or whatever they're doing. And they go, uh, actually, our... Data indicates that viewers actually enjoy less episodes per season. So I'm wondering if that causes them to make cuts somewhere where they're not comfortable.
0: I can see that being the reason if that translated into smushing together story elements too much so that it makes the story unrecognizable.
1: Right. Or cuts out what appear to be minor characters like Cabbage Merchant, for example. A minor character. Yes. A beloved character. Absolutely. Would it be Avatar without him? No. And he's only been in a couple yeah. episodes so far. So things like yeah. that, right? Or maybe like scrapping Momo, who honestly, I love Momo, does very little to pro- progress the plot, but is still a staple in Avatar The Last Airbender. So I'm wondering if Netflix yeah. is having that like fast tracking, streamlined approach to the story where you can't do that. Everything is in its place for a reason, except The Great Divide. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. except for the great divide. what if they yeah. wanted
1: the what if they were like what if what if okay okay we'll, we'll say this and then i think we can move on what if yeah. brian and michael were like we're just not going to do the great divide and netflix was like no you need to That's have the cornerstone that of the
0: entire live action series. that
1: episode <laughs> is why we ordered this in the first <laughs> place and they just couldn't come to terms with it
0: yeah yeah oh god that'd be so funny yeah, I think I think it's something along the lines of what you were just describing, Greg, yeah. because the way that Brian said fans of the original series might enjoy this and new audiences will probably enjoy this, yeah. it's just not going to be what we went in to create. Makes me think it's going to be either a watered down version of Avatar mm-hmm. or like, a complete spin off adaptation where it takes core elements, but then everything else is different.
1: I'd be more okay with the latter than the former because in my brain, being everyone knows I'm a big comic book fan, my brain is now trained to realize that a movie is not a direct adaptation of the comic book source material but rather an alternate universe in which those characters live and breathe and are different, so yeah, I think I'd be happier yeah, with the point. with the this is like. Earth 2 Avatar the Last Airbender if i can like justify that versus a yeah we're just watering everything down it's going to be super streamlined and then there you go.
0: Yeah, i agree. Yeah. I would rather an adaptation than watering down because there're just some things that you just can't you can't get rid of. It's like the spirit of Avatar once you twist or contort or erase that spirit it's not Avatar anymore. It's something different. Right. And i think that might be one of the reasons why they left.
1: Yeah, and all all the side characters like Jet all that Maybe they're getting rid of them. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And now, let's jump right into episode seventeen, the Northern Air Temple. This episode was written by Elizabeth Welsh, Ehas, and directed by Dave Filoni.
0: Dave Filoni, my best friend.
1: I wish Dave Filoni. <laughs> so, travelers, the next time you think you hear a strange large bird talking. Take a closer look. It might not be a giant parrot, but a flying man, a member of a secret group of air walkers who laugh at gravity and laugh at those bound to earth by it. We rejoin Team Avatar sitting around a campfire listening to a storyteller recounting tales of the airbenders that have long been extinct for let's just say a hundred years. Katara excitedly asks Aang if the stories were accurate. Did the airbenders actually laugh in the face of gravity? And confirms that he laughs at gravity all the time and even takes a moment to chuckle at the thought of the archaic, (laughs) silly afterthought that we now know as gravity. The storyteller circles around the crowd, asking for a few copper pieces for the entertainment. But when he reaches Sokka, all he can pull out of his pockets are a few crumbs and some bugs. Sokka apologizes to the storyteller, who calls the group cheapskates under his breath as he sulks away. Aang walks over to the storyteller and compliments his stories, while the man offers some of the coin pieces to an older gentleman sitting in front of him. Tell it to the cat, boy, the storyteller says, shaking the coin-filled hat in front of the avatar. When a coin falls out of the hat, Momo comes over and puts the coin... Back in its proper place as the storyteller turns around. Now, really quickly, the storyteller is uh is Clyde Kusatsu again. I'm sure I'm butchering his name, and I'm so so sorry. He played Pasang from the Storm and also was the calm man in this fortune teller.
0: Oh, so cool. This is his third
1: time coming back for a different voice, three different characters in the series.
0: Awesome. I love it.
1: Okay. The storyteller thinks that this is an unearned piece of coin and thanks the little bat thing for the donation and pats Momo (laughs) on the head. I relate to that comment, little bat thing, because I've just you everyone knows that I've just been saying, you know, like a spider wolf thing and every episode, every episode. So if I think (laughs) that if I'm anyone in this in this universe, I'm probably the storyteller. Anyways, Ang tells the storyteller that it means a lot to hear about old airbender stories and that it must have been a hundred years ago when his great-grandfather met them. What are you prattling on about, child? The storyteller interrupts Ang and tells him that his great-grandfather just saw them last week. Ang is shocked and the group takes off to the Northern Air Temple.
0: Great-grandpappy.
1: Great-grand... I love that guy. He's like... <laughs> yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was if if anyone's wondering that was the older man that he was offering some coin to which i thought told a lot about the character of the storyteller how he makes this money and then he offers some to his great-grandfather whether it's a kickback or not i don't know but it is a sweet sentiment and he offers like it's a handful it's not like a couple pieces right flying high above a mountain range the gang approaches the northern air temple Aang remembers that this place is where the Air Bison Polo Championships used to take place and watches the skyline, excited about the thought of not only returning to the temple, but the possibility that there might be more air nomads still alive. Katara asks Sokka if he thinks they'll really find any airbenders at the temple. Sokka, I love this part. Sokka (laughs) asks if she wants the truth. Or if she wants him to be like her. Are you saying I'm a liar? Katara folds her arm. She's obviously getting a little cross. You're welcome because she crosses her arms (laughs) with her brother. That one goes out to our UK fans because I think that's a a more of a UK term, getting cross with someone, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I'm saying you're an optimist. Same thing, basically. Sokka replies.
0: I laughed out loud at this. And then the next moment I realized I am Katara. I would be that person. (laughs) (laughs) Do you really think we're going to see airbenders?
1: It's like, ah, sure. Whatever, whatever makes you happy.
0: Now, here's the question. Yeah. Do you relate to Sokka in that moment?
1: Yes. I feel like I do that all the time. I feel like people ask me things. I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I get a lot of like opinions asked of me. Not about Avatar, but just about things in general, like, you know, collaboration and stuff like that. And they go, there's my idea. And they go, do you think it's any good? And I go, do you want me to say it's really good or would you like a fair <laughs> criticism of what I think? And then they go, oh, OK.
0: Yeah. OK. <laughs>
1: and then I usually go, I yeah, no, it's good. But and then I offer the, the critique or the whatever, whatever they're asking for. But yeah, more often than not, I'm just kind of like, you want me to lie or do you want the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Before the argument can erupt, Aang sees a bunch of quote unquote airbenders flying around the temple. As they approach, Aang's smile fades away as he realizes those are not airbenders. Aang notes that those people are not airbending, and you can tell because they have no spirit in their movement. Suddenly, a boy flies over Appa and the gang, laughing as he swoops and glides away. I don't know, Aang. That kid seems pretty spirited, Katara points to the boy who is freely gliding, seemingly without a care in the world. Aang smirks. It's almost like a devilish grin. I say smirks, but it's really like a mischievous, devilish, like little grin that he has going on and follows the boy on his glider. While Appa and the siblings are surrounded by other gliders, one of those newer gliders gets in Appa's way, which causes him to jerk suddenly, almost knocking Katara and Sokka off Sky Bison. Oh, no. We better get to some solid ground before it finds us, Sokka tells his sister, and Appa lands at the temple. By the, by the way, really quickly, I appreciate more Jack's work as Sokka when I read the lines and I don't deliver them. I deliver them at like a 10% capacity that Jack does. Right? I like super, I appreciated them a lot. But like now as we're doing the show more and more and I'm getting more ambitious with my write-ups and <laughs> trying to be a voice <laughs> actor, uh, uh-huh. I'm like, wow, you're... This is why you get paid the big bucks, pal. He does a really good job.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. A note about Aang's smile. I had that moment, too, where I saw it as kind of like an echo of his younger self when he lived at the temple and he would get into games or, or fun or contests with the other little monk boys. It was very reminiscent of that. It was almost like he saw... He saw the opportunity to show off with airbending as something he would have done when he was younger. And so he was like, I know what this game is. I'm going to play.
1: I didn't think about that. But now that you mention that, that's all I see now. It's all I can like headcanon. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. yeah. A note about the temple, too. I read that Brian and Michael were never totally satisfied with the look of the Southern Air Temple. Uh, But luckily, they had an opportunity to improve on it when the story takes them here to the Northern Air Temple. The designs and vistas turned out much more dramatic and impressive, as we can see, because the temple was designed as part of its natural surroundings, and it fits harmoniously with nature on those huge rocks And it's almost like it looks like it was carved out of that mountain, right?
1: Actually, a fun fact about this episode, too. I was going to save it towards the end, but I think it fits in right here right now. Some cable TV providers like my favorite (laughs) Comcast. Sorry, I had to add that in. (laughs) Accidentally labeled this episode as the Southern Air Temple instead of the Northern Air Temple when it was released. So that's just kind of funny. Anyways. Back in the air, we have a glide-off with Ang and the boy in the glider, who the crowd of children below are calling Tio. Tio compliments Ang's gliding abilities, and Ang responds by showing off some wall-running skills that flow right into his signature air scooter technique, and then manages to get back on his glider, all in one smooth motion. Now, Tio is voiced by Daniel Simonas. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. Now, Daniel hasn't been in too, too much, what I recognized was Entourage, who was in an episode. Okay. He was a character in Final Fantasy thirteen. Ooh. He also was a recurring character in Wizards of Waverly Place.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: I'm too old for that, but I know of it as Dean Malone slash Dean Moriarty.
0: Okay. I saw some of the Wizards of Waverly Place, but I don't think I know the characters that well. That moment when they're starting their glide off, I got like offended when that little kid's like, show that ball kid how it's done. It's like, <laughs> do you know who you are addressing, little boy? <laughs> Excuse well, they don't me. Yet.
1: Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of like, like, I love Aang, but I kind of like when he gets knocked down a couple pegs because Aang right now isn't the most humble And we saw that a couple episodes back.
0: Yeah. He's like this mixture, right? Yes. He's ultimately humble, but he, because of his age, lets his ego get in the way a lot.
1: Right, right. And it makes sense. He's still a child. He's learning all of this stuff. So he's not going to be the selfless superhero avatar monk that we want him to be yet, but he will get there. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I can do that, Tio responds. But here's a good one. On the seat of the glider, a cork is released from a small ball bearing, and smoke is released into the sky. Tio loops in swoops and dips and tips, drawing a caricature of an annoyed-looking Aang in the sky, and the resemblance, <laughs> I think, is uncanny.
0: Oh, it, it is uncanny. He makes that exact <laughs> face in the next scene cut.
1: Aang gracefully lands at the air temple, and... Tio comes in hot and does that like cool guy skid landing without flinching. And he he does like the goggles up and he's just like a like the font. Well, I don't know if anyone knows of the fonts, but the fonts (laughs) a that kind of thing. A group of children surround him and take off the wings of the chair, revealing that Tio has been in a wheelchair this entire time and the glider is an attachment to his chair.
0: Yeah. Super ingenuitive.
1: Now, I don't think they were trying to hide that he was in a wheelchair, but they also don't do any crazy close-ups of any of the other gliders. So I feel like that was meant to be some sort of reveal, but it also didn't feel as impactful to me as it could have been.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. And I really appreciate that because the only attention anyone pays to Teo's handicap is when Sokka Mm -hmm. compliments his chair and he's impressed that it's a glider chair. And so I like that he's a great pilot not because he's a paraplegic or in spite of it he just is and that's such a cool element of inclusion that's written into the story yes
1: and also like Kudos to putting in someone who's in a wheelchair into the show. That's already a a diverse cast. Like, I don't think there would have been too many people that would have been like, well, it doesn't have this group or that group. They're just like, no, just throw everyone in as many groups as we can throw in. Just put them in our show, please. Yeah. Which I super appreciate. I
0: So respect that.
1: Yeah. Teo wheels himself over to the gang and is in awe that Aang is a real airbender. And now that he thinks about it, hey, he must be the avatar. (laughs) Sokka admires the craftsmanship of the glider chair. And Teo tells Saka that his father designed it and has many other amazing inventions at the temple.
0: Yeah. A couple things I want to talk about here not just the, Mm -hmm. the gliders themselves, but kind of Aang's reaction because he goes into this defensive and wanting to show up this non airbender wannabe guy in a glider and he's like really competitive and then they touch down and Teo is like oh you are an airbender you're the avatar and he has this genuine appreciation and enthusiasm for recognizing Aang and Aang's reaction is he smiles and scratches his head and says thanks I feel like in a lot of ways Aang just wanted to be seen and he's going to this old place that he sees as his culturally. And there's these mm-hmm. people inhabiting it. So he gets defensive and like I gotta prove myself almost. But then when he's recognized for who he really is, it goes such a long way with him.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Well, again, there's that little bit of ego there too, just a little bit, just a tinge yeah. of it.
0: Which is understandable because yeah. I mean oh, absolutely. historically it's like, who are these people? Why are they here?
1: Right. Yeah. So like just putting myself in his shoes. If I were frozen for a hundred years and I were to walk up to my house and I had some sort of impactful thing that happened with my house and people are just trying to be me or trying to do what I do. And oh, I'm just like, yeah, like, what is, what are you doing? This is, this is my jam. This is me. And they go, oh, you're the great Greg guitar. No, I'm not saying that. That's weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good analogy. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's very much like a identity crisis almost. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the gliders, I mm-hmm. learned, I didn't know this. I learned that the first gliders are thought to have been invented by a multi-talented Chinese innovator known as Lu Ban. He was referenced as the Asian Leonardo da Vinci, which I think is kind of weird because he could just be an inventor on his own, but whatever. Lu Ban was a Chinese structural engineer, inventor, and carpenter during the Zhao Dynasty, around 500 to 400 so B.C. He supposedly invented a piloted kite that could stay aloft for many hours and up to as long as three days.
1: When I saw the gliders, I actually thought of Leonardo da Vinci, though.
0: Yeah, doesn't that suck? Leonardo da Vinci was not in 500 to 400, whatever B.C., and is just another example of how you know whoever gets the most attention in history ends up being the originator of something, even if there was someone Mm -hmm. else who did it better or did it before.
1: Anyways, as the group walks into the air temple. Aang can't help but look in almost horror and disbelief as pipes line the hallway walls and pierce through murals and pieces of art and history and relics. The pipes continue into a chamber and seem to surround statues and monuments of the northern air nomads as steam is occasionally released from different valves at random intervals. Yeah, my dad is the mastermind behind this whole place. Everything's powered by hot air. It even pumps hot air currents outside to give us a little lift while we're gliding, Teo tells the group. This is unbelievable, Ang says, looking heartbroken and lost. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Teo says in agreement. No, just unbelievable, Aang says under his breath as he walks away. That exchange was just like, uh, so heartbreaking. And I really like the writing in that particular, just the play on hearing the words that someone is saying, but not hearing the connotation or yeah, the emotion. Or the inflection. Or the, the inflection, thank you, behind it, yeah. Katara approaches Teo and tells him that Aang used to come here a long time ago and that he's shocked that everything is so different here but Sokka doesn't seem to mind because the improvements are just amazing in his opinion and he just can't help but like he's practically drilling. oh my everything. gosh
0: I know that's such great characterization in that moment yeah Aang's reaction is this is unbelievable and not in a good way Katara's yes. reaction is this is different and then Sokka's <laughs> like this is better
1: <laughs> Yeah, I love it the, the <laughs> gradient is so good yeah Katara then approaches Aang, checking in on her friend. This is supposed to be the history of my people, Aang tells her, as we get a closer look at a mural that has been desecrated by pipes and technology. Aang and Katara walk up to an air bison fountain and notice that the water is completely green and slimy. When Aang looks directly at the statue itself, Smoke is released from its mouth and startles the young airbender. I'm sure parts of the temple are still the same. Katara puts her hand on Aang's shoulder, trying to comfort the avatar. Aang, Sokka, Katara, and Teo walk across a bridge and enter a courtyard. The circular area has been untouched by the pipes and hot air. When Aang sees a statue of an air nomad meditating, he notes that it's nice to see something that remains untouched. As soon as he finishes that thought, a man yells, Look out! As the head of the statue comes flying off, sending rubble and debris everywhere. When the dust clears, we see several men standing where the statue was. What the doodle? Don't you... I'm going to have so much fun with this. (laughs) What the doodle? Don't you know enough to stay away from construction sites? We have to make room for the bathhouse. A slender man with wild hair and a monocle approaches the gang, shaking his finger at them. Aang becomes enraged. This man just destroyed a sacred statue for a lousy bathhouse. Aang unleashes an air blast that knocks the wrecking ball and its machine off of the temple. Aang goes on to tell the man that he can't treat this temple this way and how he remembers what it was like when monks lived here and how it's supposed to be. The man is confused because Aang just said this was 100 years ago and Aang is 12 years old. So he's just kind of looking. I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, you're 12. And then Teo walks up and goes to his father and tells him that Ang is the avatar as Ang angrily demands answers from this adult. And he's going to be called the Mechanist. I tried looking for a name for this guy. He doesn't have a name. Yeah. He's always referred to as the Mechanist. And he's only in this episode as far as I can tell. Now, quick side note, the Mechanist is voiced by Renee. Oh, I'm going to mess his name up again. And I've already talked about him. Aubergine I'm going to add a little French on that. I'm pretty sure I made that joke in The Great Divide. Yes, you did. When we found out that he was (laughs) the Ganjin leader. And now you can go back to hear what he was in. But our friend and founder of the Geek Generation Network, the Rob Logan, did message me and was like, I know where your nerd blind spot is. And I was like, oh, yeah, where? And he was like, Star Trek. And I was like, oh, yeah. So Renee also played a character named Odo in Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
0: Yeah, that's so funny to me because when I think of you two, you are obviously the Star Wars guy and Rob is definitely the Star Trek guy.
1: We just did a recording yesterday and we made a joke that Rob is the anti-Greg and I am the anti-Rob and it's so true.
0: (laughs) So it's funny because
1: the beginning of our friendship was like, hey, we have some more thoughts on themes. We should do like some stuff together. And we're like, yeah, and now as we get deeper, it's like, oh no, we <laughs> agree on DC comics, and that's pretty much about it. Yep, it's so good, it's really funny, anyways. So, Teo's dad tells Ang that a long time ago, his people became refugees after a terrible flood. The flood not only claimed the life of Teo's mother, but also badly injured the infant. And we assume this is how he got in a wheelchair, yeah, they needed somewhere to rebuild and were lost until they came upon the air temple. They couldn't believe that such a beautiful place was left unoccupied. The mechanist saw the murals depicting people who could fly and found some of the old gliders lying around. This gave him an idea. He could build a new life for his son here. Everyone could fly so that his son would not feel different for being in a wheelchair. Yeah. The man, like the feels in this.
0: The feels. Both sides.
1: Yeah. And even like as Teo's dad was telling the story, you even see Sokka and Katara in the background just like crying a little bit. Yeah, like wiping their eyes. Yes. I, I feel for the Mechanist because he's neither good nor bad. He just is. Yep. The So the Mechanist then tells Aang they are just in the process of improving the temple. And isn't that what nature does? Improves upon what is already there?
0: Ah, uh, so... If we can pause for a second and talk yes. about this, yes. it is it is painful to watch the courtyard get destroyed, to see all of these changes to the temple. And it's because we've been seeing this show through Aang's eyes. So the desecration of the temple is painful for us to watch because... We've been introduced to the deep emotional pain that Aang has around losing his home and people in the first place. And so to Mm -hmm. us, it comes across as so disturbingly disrespectful. But then let's hop over to the other side, because Teo's village was destroyed in a flood when he was still a baby. His mother died in the natural disaster. He supposedly became a paraplegic and lost the use of his his body from the waist down and he, his father and the surviving villagers set out to find a new home. And so when they stumbled across this Northern air temple, it was deserted. And at that time it had been deserted for almost a century. So almost a hundred years, it's just empty sitting there. Mm -hmm. So there was no one coming for it. And the ancient air nomad culture and its relics were probably just nothing more than history to them that was surrounding them. And so they took inspiration from it and created this new life because the temple provided that safety and protection for them. And over time, they modified it based on their Mm -hmm. lifestyle and their purposes and everything. So we can really see when Aang gets angry that Teo's father destroyed something sacred for a measly bathhouse. The mechanist replies with, well, people were starting to stink. It's this difference between veneration for a long last culture versus modern practicality because it's these two completely different sets of people and so right. I love how this is a case of good versus good it's morally complex because no one's really right or wrong there is no right. black or white both sides have yeah. a point
1: yeah uh, there's th- there's another little thing that as you were talking just kind of dawned on me yeah every place that Aang has been to, if he had been there before, has remained untouched so far or has changed minimally.
0: So that would make it even more jarring for him.
1: Right. Because he's assuming that this place is going to be like every other place that he's been to, which has been pretty much, maybe new people in there, but Kiyoshi has been completely the same. Omashu was also exactly, the, it's, his friend was even still there. Yeah. So so you, you can't help but like kind of also not just feel for Aang in the regards of his culture, but also this has been his experience so far. Everything's kind of the same. Sure, the Fire Nation's taken over, ruining everything, but that's about it. Like the big stuff is still there.
0: Yeah, And that's a good point. When he
1: sees this, this is a big uh, wrecking ball, so to speak, into that theory that he's been kind of like telling himself, I'm sure. Yeah. So Aang's been yelling at the Mechanist. And he kind of stops him when the Mechanist brings up the fact that nature just improves upon what's already there. Aang looks at him and says, yeah, at least nature knows when to stop. Mm. What I found interesting is the man doesn't apologize for his improvements, even though Aang feels like he should, and acknowledges that he got carried away and looks at the three candles that are burning over to his right, I believe, and notes that it's almost dark and they still have work to be done. Sokka approaches the candles because he's super curious with the Mechanist and asks how he can tell time with these things. The mechanist tells Sokka to watch the candles carefully, and the candles pop four times. Sokka realizes that there's spark powder in the candles, and four flashes, the mechanist tells him, means it's exactly four hours past midday. Or, as he likes to call it, 4-0 candle.
0: <laughs> Who needs sundials when you have candles?
1: Right? That was such an... I laughed too hard at that. Yeah, <laughs> I like, this is of funny. course this you is did. This is a bad joke. Teo's dad tells Sokka if he likes the invention, then he will love his finger-safe knife sharpening, which only took three tries to get it right. And uh, he says this as he puts up his hand, that's like a wooden hand, and he takes off the three wooden fingers that are a part of that hand yeah. and throws them at Sokka.
0: I'm so disappointed in him. How did how did he not fix that after one finger?
1: <laughs> well, so here's what you do. One finger chops it off. You think you got it after the second one. but They really have it at the third one. Okay. That's what You really have it. True. Also, get a carrot or something. Yeah, get literally right? anything else. Although I wonder because he still wants to chop carrots. But then it got through. But bon- I don't know. I'm not going to try to <laughs> get into this, inside this guy's brain. That's a dangerous situation. Tao asks Aang and Katara to follow him because there's something he would probably like to see. On the way, Teo tells Aang that while the temple itself has gone through a lot of changes, the animals that live there have not and are most likely direct descendants of the original animals that used to live there 100 years ago. And for this, they bring up a hermit crab, as an example. And Aang's yep. kind of holding it and petting it. And it, it, it does bring him some sort of, not joy, but ease, I would say. Yeah, some comfort. This seems, <laughs> literally my next sentence. This seems to bring Aang some comfort as the group approaches <laughs> their destination. Teo brings Aang and Katara to a hallway that has been untouched by any of his father's quote-unquote progress. And at the end of the hallway is a door that has yet to be opened at the temple. The door is identical to the one that we saw at the Southern Air Temple, and Teo notes that only an airbender can open it.
0: And only a master airbender at that.
1: Teo notes that since nobody can open the door, whatever is in there remains untouched, and how he's always wondered what lies behind that door. Now, I don't know about you, Acorn, but when this door was presented, I was like, how has his father, the inventor of the uber-successful, Finger safe knife set, <laughs> not found a way to get into this door. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking fans.
0: Yeah. So when you first saw it, you were thinking, how has this mechanist not gotten in here?
1: Yes. That okay. was the, uh, like, if you can't get through the door, you could probably get through another way. Right. You can make a new entrance. No, see, pretty easily.
0: My reaction was a Katara reaction, which is, yeah. oh, good, there's a place that hasn't been desecrated no. by these invaders.
1: <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Teo definitely doesn't know this has happened yet. So (laughs) Aang tells Teo that he won't open the door because he wants the last part of the temple to stay the same as it was. Teo is a little disappointed, but completely understands and tells Aang that he only wanted the airbender to know that there is a piece of the past preserved beyond those
0: doors. This. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Him Mm -hmm. saying that to me shows that Teo has a good heart because- It's interesting that he never apologizes for what they did to the temple, but he does try to give Aang comfort and empathy whenever he can. So I feel like that's just another nod to the fact that neither side is right in the situation. The writing and the story does not pit us against one group or the other. We're just presented with this complicated situation. Right. Right. And it also kind of illustrates how two sides can have conflicting perspectives, but still work together and respect each other, which I think is such an important lesson.
1: Yeah. And I also think it's very telling of Teo's character that he doesn't assume people will do things for him. Yeah. His father developed a new technology for him to not feel left out. And Teo is not in any way entitled or has gotten into an entitled uh, train of thought. With that kind of life.
0: Yeah. So he's still kind and understanding and wanting everyone to feel accepted.
1: And doesn't, you know, push anyone to do something, even though it's something he super wants.
0: Yes. There you go.
1: Meanwhile, we're we're back with Sokka and the Mechanist and they walk into the depths of the air temple.
0: They're just two peas in a pod.
1: (laughs) There's so much alike. (laughs) I love it. Sokka notes that their lanterns are garbage and opens it up to reveal that there are fireflies and there are not actual fire. The Mechanist tells Sokka that the fireflies are a great non-flammable light source. When they approach a door that has an airtight seal, the Mechanist kind of adjusts the seal and and tries to repair it a little bit and tells Sokka to hold his breath and cover his nose. It's one of those old-fashioned dungeon doors, and it has one of those like eye slits that you can go back and forth, right? Yeah, yeah. So the Mechanist opens up the eye slit in the door, and Sokka asks, what's so special about an empty room? The mechanists tells Sokka that the room is actually filled with natural gas. Uh, When he first came down here, he had a torch lighting his way, which nearly blew himself and the whole temple sky high. Oh, no. Yeah. Teo's dad then continues to tell Sokka that he thought his eyebrows would never grow back. And they zoom in on his eyebrows and they're super patchy and definitely have not fully grown back. Or I submit to you, maybe they have. And his eyebrows were patchy from a different thing.
0: Oh, gosh. So they're just trauma, (laughs) trauma into a certain growth pattern now.
1: The mechanist tells Sokka about his largest problem. From time to time, they have gas leaks and they're nearly impossible to find. So this place is an explosion waiting to happen, Sokka replies. Yes, until I figure out how to locate something I can't see, hear, smell or touch. The Mechanist's dilemma is now fully revealed, and he needs Sokka's help. He doesn't explicitly ask for Sokka's help, but I think he knows enough that Sokka is like him enough that if you present a problem, he's going to want to fix it. And we literally had that happen earlier today, too, where it was like, can we do a thing? And I was like, I don't know. Let's find out and waste like 15 minutes trying to (laughs) figure something out.
0: Yes, that's that's exactly what he did. He presented the problem and just left it there.
1: Meanwhile, Katara stands at the edge of the air temple, looking down at the sky below her. Katara is nervous about taking a glider out into the sky. Teo tries to assure her that everything will be okay, and that there's something inside each person that is lighter than air that just kind of takes over. Aang adds that what Teo is talking about is called spirit. Even though not being entirely ready, Katara takes off to the skies, and terror turns into excitement. As she is now flying side by side by side with Aang and Teo.
0: I love that. How she's like screams and then it goes. "Ah, ah, (laughs) It's like I would absolutely do that.
1: Aang warns Katara to make sure she keeps her mouth closed so she doesn't accidentally swallow any bugs. While Momo does his best Pac-Man impression and partakes in the all-you-can-eat bug buffet.
0: That's exactly what he does.
1: After a brief exchange with Katara, Aang realizes that while Tao is not an airbender, he definitely has the spirit of one. Aang lands next to his new friend to let him know that he's reconsidered his position on the locked door, and agrees to open it for him. Teo is excited while Katara tries to figure out how to land the glider and accidentally swallows a bunch of bugs while she's yelling for guidance.
0: Such a great moment. Oh oh my gosh.
1: The delivery of those lines too were perfect for Mae Whitman. As usual. She's like, how do I, how do I let... Uh, that that was a (laughs) bug. And she's like trying to tell him she swallowed a bug while swallowing more bugs because her mouth is still open.
0: I have something to say about that moment. How easy could it have been for Aang to see the desecration of the temple and not forgive Teo or his father? Because we all do that. It's so hard Mm -hmm. to forgive people when we feel like we're slighted personally. But Aang does. He doesn't let the actions of the past prevent him from recognizing who Teo is as a person Mm -hmm. and finding common ground in the spirit that they share. So again, a great lesson to not let people's actions blind you to the possibility of the future, whether it's making alliances, having empathy for people or recognizing people for who they really are.
1: Mm -hmm. I would actually I know we've kind of lost track of this over the past couple episodes, but I would put this down as a uh, things are not as they appear to be episode. Yes,
0: it's consistent. It's incredible. Yep. I was not expecting yep. that when we first talked about it in the King of Amashu episode. But ever yep. since we had that lesson like put in our face, it has mm-hmm. been consistent throughout every episode.
1: So guitar is swallowing Bugs, Teo and Aang are becoming friends. And we rejoin Sokka and the Mechanist back in his workshop of, of sorts. The Mechanist is drawing on a large piece of paper while Sokka accidentally drops various things, including several scrolls, some pieces of paper, a hard-boiled egg, and a model of a hot-air balloon.
0: Mentally bookmark this moment, everyone. The Mechanist is drawing on a big piece of paper in his workshop. That is all.
1: The Mechanist rushes over to help Sokka pick up everything that was dropped and assures him that no harm was done. The model was from an old experiment. And the egg was from last week's lunch. Sokka takes a whiff and comments how terrible the smell of a week old egg is. And all of a sudden, the two realize that the egg needs to be found quickly. I love how they're just like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> back at the sealed temple door, Tao cannot believe he's about to finally see what's behind the locked door. Eng uses his air bending to unlock the door. And we cut back to the workshop where Sokka comments how he can't believe Something so small can cause such a stink. The Mechanist and Sokka talk at each other, with each other, and come to the same conclusion. If they get a bunch of rotten eggs and throw it in the cellar where the gas resides, then whenever they smell rotten eggs, they will know there's a leak and they can follow the smell and patch it up. Suddenly, a bell rings and the Mechanist comments that something is wrong.
0: I feel like the only thing missing from that scene is a lantern on the wall to symbolize yep. the light bulb going off over their heads. Literally
1: the foop going yeah. on. Yes, I agree. Like
0: in Winter Solstice Part 2, Avatar Roku, mm-hmm. when Sokka has the idea for how to blow up the door. Yeah,
1: exactly. So now we're back with Angitara and Teo, who walk into the once locked chamber and see the room filled with new weapons for the Fire Nation.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: You don't understand. He says it not like that, but I like doing that voice too much. The mechanist runs in, but it is too late. Teo angrily tells his father to explain himself, and the mechanist hesitates at first, but then recounts how the Fire Nation army found them after only living at the temple for a year. Instead of allowing the temple to be destroyed and burnt to the ground, the mechanist offered his services so that they might be left alone. Teo is ashamed of his father and cannot look at him any longer as the mechanist returns to his workshop.
0: Ugh. What a scene. You're making weapons for the Fire Nation. O- okay, yeah. bad guy. No. no, the Fire Nation is blackmailing me. I'm making them to keep us all safe. Oh, okay, sympathetic guy. It's like, how do we feel about this?
1: I felt justified in my suspicion that that door was never opened. Yes, I'll tell you I'm will i sure much. you did. <laughs> I was like, I knew it. That jerk, but not a jerk, but kind of. I know. So the thing, the thing about the Mechanist that I want to talk about just a little bit right now is... We we touched upon it. He's not a negative human being. He doesn't mean to cause anyone harm, but he does through his actions. And he's not he doesn't think things through. He's a little absent minded. Yeah. So he's so focused on the problem at hand that he can't see the larger picture. He's, he's very um, short-sighted in that regard.
0: Yeah, I have a term for that that I came across yeah. in researching for this. Innocently insensitive.
1: Interesting. But very yeah. much,
0: he's trying to make the best decisions he can, but sometimes it's just, they're not thought through. Yeah,
1: it's the same thing with the bathhouse, right? It's like he has this relic, this chamber that you know he has a need and this chamber can fulfill that need But it's Jurassic Park. He was too busy thinking about whether he could. He never stopped to think if he should.
0: There you go. That's great. Yeah. And at the same time, though, to his credit, I think he does have his heart in the right place, ultimately, because when Teo says, how can I be proud of you when your inventions are made for murder? His immediate reaction is not being defensive or trying to justify his actions. No. Instead, what does he say? I need some time to think.
1: Yeah. So yeah,
0: I feel like that's the proper response when you're put on the spot for doing something bad. It's, oh boy, let me go think about this and decide what I want to do next.
1: So yeah. So yeah, like you were saying, so the Mechanist returns to his workshop and kind of follows him, kicks down the door. And it's, it's just kind of like, he's kind of a almost a bully
0: at this point. He's being very brash. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and it's kind of like, what is the Fire Nation going to return? And the Mechanist tells him that it's going to be very soon. If he doesn't deliver the goods, essentially, he, the temple will be destroyed. And that's when he's playing with this model balloon. It catches on fire and falls to the ground. The Mechanist quickly puts the fire out. And that's when Teo kind of comes in and is just like, you know, how can I be... Proud of you when your inventions are used for murdering and killing and destruction. This is, I think, when when you said this, it's also super interesting. The mechanist says, "I need some time to think." I feel like when he gets overwhelmed, he just wants to think it all through and figure out how to get himself not overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. His
0: his answer for these situations is like critical thinking, yes. rather than yeah. defensiveness or emotion or whatever.
1: The mechanist tells the boys to leave quickly, but Teo refuses. Because an alarm goes off in the back. It's the same alarm that happened when the um, the door opened to that chamber. The Mechanist pleads for them to hide at least. They do so. A trap door opens up. And Chin, an overseer of the Fire Nation's military technology, rises from below. You know better than to keep me waiting. Give me what you owe us so we can be on our way. Chin scorns as the Mechanist looks down. Well, is there a problem? The mechanic says no and leads Chin to the door. But before they can leave the workshop, Aang jumps into action and air bends the door shut behind him. The deal's off! Aang glares at Chin while doing his superhero landing pose.
0: <laughs> he does.
1: Chin threatens to burn the temple to the ground if he leaves empty-handed. Aang essentially air slaps Chin, tells him to make like a banana and leaf. It's a joke for everyone. You're welcome. I was about to and say,
0: he, did, he didn't say that. What?
1: He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He was just like, <laughs> he was like, get out of here. And Chin notes that the destruction of the temple is now on Aang's head. Chin takes his leave through the trap door and Aang air bends it shut. Awesome. So, yeah, I like how quickly Chin was to brush this responsibility off on someone else.
0: Yeah. Our actions are going to be your fault because you're not doing what I want you to do.
1: That's very telling of the Fire Nation, at least military state of mind. Yes. It's not our fault. You're making us do this. We want everyone to be peaceful under our rule and you don't want to be ruled that way. Yeah. That's on you.
0: Wow. Smells like totalitarian regimes. Yay. I, not really. I learned. So partly why I know Chin is in a couple episodes is because I, I looked mm-hmm. him up and okay. he is the war minister for the Fire Nation, which is okay. an important member of the Fire Lord's cabinet. And that person's duties includes overseeing the creation and acquisition of any new technology for the Fire Nation military, so that's why he showed up and he's like, "All right, show me the goods. Where's my tech?"
1: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. Moments later, Team Avatar and Teo try to strategize about how they can take on the impending Fire Nation invasion. They will hopeless. They will be hopelessly outnumbered. Aang points to the sky and tells them that they have the power of the sky at their disposal and that is their advantage. The Fire Nation has no control over the sky. They are bound by the laws of gravity. <laughs> gravity. <laughs> and here's my here's my second part to that joke. What a downer.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah, <laughs> got it in. Okay. The Mechanist shows up and tells the gang he wants to help and the team welcomes him into the fold with open arms. And I love how they are not holding a grudge against him and they understand where he's coming from.
0: Yeah, that was something I wrote down so too. Cool. Because, again, how easy would it have been to be like, hell no, get lost. You're a terrible person. You're canceled. Go rot in a hole. Mm-hmm. But no, instead, just like with Teo, Aang recognizes that the mechanic's heart is in the right place and he wants to begin making up for helping the Fire Nation. And so Aang is focusing on the solution with him not on the differences or past actions that separate them.
1: Right. It's so cool just to see this higher mentality, this taking the high road of yeah. is this, you're. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. I'm the avatar and you're just some guy tinkering with inventions, but we're still people and you made a mistake and I acknowledge that. Let's move on. It's
0: also reminiscent to the teachings of Buddhism. And it reminds me a lot again of that one book I've I mentioned, God, forever ago, the Book of Joy, written by the Dalai Lama Mm. and the Archbishop Tutu. In it, they talk about the eight pillars of joy. And one of them, forgiveness, reminds me a lot of this. Because I wrote down, forgiveness does not mean we forget. It does not mean we do not respond to the acts or not see that the perpetrator is punished. There is a difference between the actor and the action the person and the thing they have done. We take appropriate counteraction to stop the act. We respond to the wrong with clarity and firmness while not losing sight of the humanity of the person." Mm which I love because it separates the person from the action. You know, everyone deserves forgiveness. Everyone deserves understanding. But that doesn't mean that we ignore their actions or we don't respond to actions that harm others. Right. So I feel like Aang is pretty much taking that route of forgive and see the redeeming quality in the person. You know, the spirit of Tao. I
1: don't know. It's 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 complicated with Mechanus because he did wrong, but he did so against his own will. And you could argue, yeah, like there are two options there. You do it or you don't. And you don't do it. You are, I guess, technically taking the moral higher ground, but then you're also losing a home for not only you and your son, but also for all the other people that were a part of his town or village or whatever it was.
0: So I think in that way, it's kind of appropriate that they found the air temple because they are now nomads.
1: Yeah, these people are nomads and they found a temple that were once inhabited by air nomads. Yeah. So yeah, so essentially now at this point, the Fire Nation has made themselves visible. They're here. They We know what's going on. And the Mechanist is like, I know I messed up. I, need, I want to help you fight them. So now we're back at the workshop and the Mechanist informs the group that his war balloon, quote unquote is now working thanks to Sokka. Because that boy is a genius. And <laughs> they do that whole, no, you are. No, you are. No, you are <laughs> for a little bit. And then Katara and Anne kind of look at each other and just kind of like annoyed and like glancing between each other and Sokka. It's, it's so cute. Like a, mm. <laughs> the main problem was that there was no way to control how high the balloon could go or like to have any control over the balloon whatsoever. So what Sokka did was he added a cap on top of that balloon which will allow you to release the hot air, which causes the balloon to fall to the ground. And when they put the cap back on, it'll go back up, which is, fun fact, exactly how hot air balloons work for us.
0: Yeah. On that note, many yeah. of the Mechanus inventions are inspired by real life. People told time with grooved candles before clocks, mm-hmm. uh, though they probably didn't use gunpowder. I think that's a creative license that was taken. Yeah. Oh well, yeah,
1: because he's so destructive with his technology. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Hot air balloons have similar vents to those proposed by Saka. Saka and the Mechanist's idea of adding the scent of rotten eggs to the gas to identify the source of the leak is also similar to the real world process of adding ethanethiol to the otherwise odorless LPG to make it detectable to humans.
1: LPG is just gas. Okay. By the way, if anyone's wondering, it's just gas. It, it's like it's got a super scientific name. But it's literally gas. Yeah. So like if if your home is heated by gas or you use it for your stove or whatever, that's what we're talking about. So So cool. Yeah. That was one of the things where I was wondering is like they have the egg and they came up with this and I was like, that's like the real world. Yeah. I know this. So Sokka and the Mechanist inform the group that they have four types of bombs at their disposal. Smoke, slime, fire and stink. E, you. Sokka and the war balloon are nowhere to be found as the Fire Nation army approaches. They cannot wait any longer. So the new inhabitants of the Northern Air Temple take to the sky on their gliders and retaliate with their arsenal. The plan appears to be working so far as Ang causes an avalanche on the troops, which is really cool. He like kind of does his airbending like glide across and it just all that. I love that scene so much.
0: Yeah, the snow falls on top of their heads. And you
1: don't feel bad because they're Fire Nation troops.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh
1: It's actually actually like I do get a lot of those like feels of when you're watching a World War Two movie and it's like, oh, well, those are Nazis. So who cares? Like they did a very good job at kind of keeping that mentality for me anyways. But I've seen nothing but Nazi similarity between the Fire Nation from day one. I I don't think it's been a a surprise from anyone for me. We've got them on the run. We need more slime, Ang yells as they grab more bombs from Katara, who is safely riding Appa above the clouds just out of sight, which is really smart. So the temple is higher than the clouds. So what they do is they hover just above the clouds. And that's where their ammunition lies. When they need more, they just pop up and pop back down, which causes like a loss of visibility from the Fire Nation. So they can't really see what they're shooting at. Yeah. Which is like, I was like, geez, this is amazing plan.
0: Smart. You think this was Sokka's plan, Mr. Idea Guy? It
1: does feel like a very Sokka plan, like very well thought out and and like kind of just that right amount of crazy. Yeah. Because as we are going to find out literally seconds later, the Fire Nation is just like, we don't need to aim at anything. We can just shoot towards the mountain. And these harpoons with chains at the other end of them are almost hitting Appa and Katara. So Appa has to kind of like fly away and take evasive action. And he is luckily unharmed. But these chains have tanks attached to the other end of them. And now the tanks are spider tanks. Uh Uh-oh. Not really, but they're just like (laughs) Spider-Man. They're climbing up the, the side of the mountain, which I think this is how they got to the Southern Air Temple, but I can't tell.
0: I've been thinking about that, and I want to say one of our emails, one of our angmails mails mentioned this. This is kind of yeah. a reveal for how the Fire Nation lay siege to the air temples. I would imagine, so I'm kind of torn, because in the air temple sanctuary, we see wheels With these spikes on them. Right. So it makes me think the mechanist is the one who designed these tanks, which means they wouldn't have had it a hundred years ago, but maybe maybe they had something similar.
1: Or there's a line that's delivered a little little bit later that makes me think of something else. Because I do agree. I think that either A, that didn't actually happen a hundred years ago. It happened maybe 50 years ago. And that would make sense that Yatsu, Monk Yatsu could still be alive. In how, like, something like this tank could exist. Because I think 100 years ago, tanks didn't exist yet. Or, number two, they had similar things without the tanks. They just kind of heart their way up the mountain and were climbing it. Yeah. Like just the troops were. Or they had the tanks that were available. Uh, I'll say number three a little bit later, but there's a third one. It's coming up. So. The slime bombs do seem to be effective against the tanks as they continue to fire upon the temple. What's really cool about the tanks is the guns are firebending. So there's little windows that let the troops firebend out of, causing, you know, giant fireballs and explosions, which makes them super susceptible to the slime bombs. Very true. So Aang lands in the middle of a group of tanks and airbends them away. And they're pretty much just like on their back, so to speak. So they're upside down. But then the cockpit, which is super cool, just turns right side up. So it doesn't matter which way the wheels are facing, as long as it's up or down, they can just adjust the cockpit, so to speak, of that tank and continue the assault. Those things are unstoppable, Katara yells, but Teo recalls his father tinkering with the tanks before and remembers that the counterbalancing system relies on water. This is what I was talking about. The mechanist did not invent the tanks. He only improved upon them. Ah. So they could have existed 100 years ago, which seems kind of far fetched to me.
0: Yeah, a little bit.
1: It's possible. And the father probably developed the counterbalancing system, if we're honest. Like, he's pretty ingenious like that. Hearing this, Guitara gets in close to the tanks and turns the water in the tanks to ice and is able to take the wheels off of one of them and then puts the other one on its side. Rendering it useless. Ang and Katara look on as eight more tanks approach, but it's Appa to the rescue as our favorite air bison jumps down and knocks over two tanks. As Ang and Katara jump on his back and they fly away, the two friends look down at the battlefield and they see that the Fire Nation army is still approaching with more tanks and troops. We're out of bombs, Teo tells Ang and Katara as they land. Come on, Sokka, where's that war balloon? Katara wonders out loud, and as soon as she does, the war balloon takes flight, and you have that super triumphant music that happens, and it's loaded with its own arsenal. Sokka notes that they are not being attacked, and the mechanist points out that the Fire Nation insignia is on the balloon, so they probably think that the balloon is one of theirs. Sokka takes the opportunity to unleash a surprise attack and throws everything they they have at the encroaching forces. More tanks and troops approach, but they have run out of bombs. Wait a second, do you smell that? The Mechanist points out the rotten egg stench, and Sokka is finally able to identify where the gas is coming from, or leaking from. Without wasting another second, Sokka detaches the engine from the balloon, noting that despite the Mechanist's protest, it's the only bomb they have left. Sokka tosses the engine into the source of the gas leak, and the giant explosion puts an end to to the assault on the Air Temple. The remaining foot soldiers retreat as the crowd cheers.
0: That was one giant explosion.
1: It was so big.
0: I'm surprised the temple didn't topple off the mountain.
1: Like Michael Bay wishes he had an explosion that large. Right? <laughs> We're going down! Sokka yells as the war balloon is reverse team rocketing is what I call it. So it's like plummeting into the mountains below. Ang jumps into action and Sokka is able to use a grappling hook to attach to the airbender's glider, and the two are brought to safety as the balloon sinks into the clouds below. Back at the temple, Aang tells the new inhabitants of the air temple that he's glad they all live here now. He realizes that they're like the hermit crab, and while they may not have been born here, they found the empty shell and have made it their home. Sokka notes how Aang was right about the power of air, and as long as they've got the skies, they will have the Fire Nation on the run. And then thanks to Captain Jinxface over there, because as soon as he says that, Chin, the Fire Nation overseer of war and technology,
0: aka the
1: War Minister, finds the war balloon. It's funny how the War Minister would find the war balloon and acquires it for the Fire Nation. This defeat is the gateway to many victories, he says. And the drums go bum, bum, bum. At least in my head. (laughs) They did something else, but that's what they did in my head. And that is the episode.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: One of the few that doesn't end with them flying on Appa into the sunset. It actually
0: ends on an ominous note. Mm -hmm. I do want to point out that if you have a set of the DVDs, you may already be aware of this. But there is a commentary that goes along with this chapter 17 that is run by D. Bradley Baker, the voice actor of Appa, Momo, and the other creatures of the Avatar universe, as well as Benjamin Wynn, who is the sound guy for the track team. And it's a really fun conversation. In it, I learned some funny things like Benjamin's mom started sending him all these like silly toys every Christmas. And it turns out he used every single one of them on the show for some sort of like sound <laughs> effect. Yeah. That's funny. Um, I like that. And also I learned for the first time That Benjamin Wynn and his partner, Jeremy Zuckerman, between the two of them, they make up the whole track team for the show. They created the ending outro music, which I love. It's the one that's like very percussion based and it has like chanting. He said that they did this Balinese monkey chant for it. And that's him and Jeremy's vocals, along with Jeremy on the flute, which I thought was so fun. They did such a good job.
1: They did a really good job. It's really cool. So... Now that we've gotten through the episode, I have to know, Acorn, who is your MVP?
0: Man, it's tough. It's actually really tough. Um, I kind of want to say Teo, but then I also kind of want to say Sokka, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because Sokka's ingenuity is what, again, gets them out in the end. He's able to provide that design-saving element for the hot air balloon. He comes up with the stink solution with the mechanist. But then also Teo is such a beautiful example of humanity in this new culture. And he brings, he's almost like the tie between the old and the new because even Eng says he has the spirit of an airbender. But then at the same time, he has all of these elements of the new culture and the technological aspect.
1: I I think it's Sokka. I think that this episode was... While not one of his episodes necessarily, it was definitely written in a way to let him shine a little bit more. Right. He is surrounded by benders, and that only continues to happen. I feel like their friends that they acquire are mostly just going to be benders at, at this point. And he isn't one. So they really have to kind of find a way to make him stand out that doesn't involve superpowers, so to speak. So what they do is they make him a brilliant mind. And not just with strategy, but with technology and inventing and and just kind of all around just like an intelligent, a a street smart individual, not necessarily book smart, but street smart, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when I really have to sit down and think about it, it's going to have to go to Sokka because while Teo is, I think, a great force, a great character in this episode, it's really Sokka that puts the pedal to the metal and comes up with those life changing or story-driving solutions.
1: All right. So now, this is the real toughie, because oh. I have no idea what I'm going to say. The moral <laughs> of the episode.
0: Um, It is tough, but since I have my notes in front of me from the Book of Joy, I'm going to just pull from there. Do it. When we accept the present, we can forgive and release the desire for a different past.
1: Yep, that's a good one.
0: And kind of an extension of that thought is so many of the causes of suffering are come from our reacting to the people, places, things, and circumstances in our lives, rather than accepting them.
1: I'm going to steal from Jurassic Park.
0: (laughs) Go for it.
1: (laughs) And I'm just going to say, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Perfect. Think about your actions and not just how they help you, but how they could help or impact in a positive or negative way someone else. Great. All right. And that's going to be all the time that we have for this week. And I know before we do our final wrap up, I know Acorn wanted to talk about something really quickly.
0: Yeah. After discussing this episode, I do think it's necessary to bring awareness to the plight of the real world culture that partly inspired the air nomads. Um, Because a lot of what we saw here was the desecration of a temple of a long lost culture. But we do have a culture in our world that currently needs help, because the country of Tibet was invaded by China in the 1950s and has remained one of the most repressed and closed societies in the world. Countless Tibetans have fled their country seeking basic fundamental freedoms, including Tibet's leader, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And so the Tibet Fund is dedicated to supporting and strengthening Tibetan communities, both in exile and inside Tibet. The fund's mission is to preserve the distinct cultural and national identity of the Tibetan people. And 100% of the donations go to supporting education initiatives, healthcare, and other systemic solutions in the community. I can personally speak to how easy it is to donate. It literally took me a minute through PayPal. There are other ways to support on the website as well, including volunteer opportunities and sponsoring. So, please consider giving some of your time and love to the culture that wasn't wiped out by the Fire Nation and needs our help today. So again, that's TibetFund.org.
1: And with that final thought, our final, final thought, we're going to wrap up this episode and discussion. We want to go ahead and just really, again, thank everyone who's been writing in leaving five-star written reviews, who's been tweeting at us, who's been finding us through the Geek Generations Discord over at Avatar The Podcast channel and all that good stuff. And again, just because we're not going to be reading these, at least as of right now, on the main episodes, we are putting out that additional new content for everyone. So please keep on writing in. Keep on telling us what you think. We really love reading it. And it, it literally makes our day whenever you do any of these things it really does and if you need a reminder just again i'll throw this out there because i've been saying it a million times an episode i'm going to continue to say it a million times an episode because it appears to be working you can tweet at us at podcast avatar you can email us directly avatar the at gmail.com you can find us over at the geekgeneration.com. that's where the discord is going to be and you can always join me over at twitch.tv forward slash boostergreg if you're caught up on all the episodes and want to talk about avatar, comic books, video games, whatever, on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
0: And you can find me over on Twitter at AcornBandit or joysons.com. You all know the drill by now with the giveaway. Head on over to at podcast avatar for that tweet where you can enter if you haven't already. Um, but that's, that's pretty much it. Thank you so much, everyone, for your feedback, your thoughts, yeah. and your entries. We will, we will catch you next time. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.